Hey guys and gals, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by the place that you need to be hanging out. Of course, I'm talking about the new Go Wild app. It's a social media platform for hunters and anglers created by hunters and anglers. That's right. No negativity. You're not going to find anti-hunters, anti-Second Amendment, anti-American people on Go Wild. Just folks like you and I who are passionate about our way of life and the great outdoors. And did I mention it's free, by the way? Yeah. So download Go Wild on your smartphone and join in the conversation. It's a great place to not only share trophy photos, but ask questions related to hunting and fishing. The Go Wild community is always happy to help out a fellow outdoorsman or woman. Uh, plus, you can share recipes, log time, listening to your favorite podcast. And, and Go Wild usually has some kind of kick-ass giveaway that they're doing as well. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, and I will see you over there. Hi, this is James McMurtry, and thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I don't know what made me so brazen and bold At the time I was feeling so wasted and old And I can't dance a lick, but sometimes I can flat rock and roll These things I've come to know Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. It is great to be here, talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. And man, isn't this the best time of the year? White-tailed deer archery seasons are opening up everywhere. Uh, Texas has been going a week now, and hell, if you're brave enough to uh, get out there and withstand the 95-degree heat, more power to you. I actually went to the deer lease, but uh, did a lot of work instead of sitting. Uh, thought I might get carried off by mosquitoes, but you know, it's still opening weekend. First two weekends, really, of October are a great time to kill a big buck. Lots of big bucks hit the ground uh, because you've got them patterned they can be pretty predictable up until middle october when you know we all know the october lull which is a real thing and uh, then they kind of split up go back to being more nocturnal and are trying to figure out why all of this testosterone is coursing through their veins uh, they quit being friends with their running mates that they've been hanging out with for nine months and now they're thinking about trying to gore them to death <laughs> so it's crazy the life of a white-tailed buck uh, but anyway uh, also dove season still going uh, big bass are putting on the feed sack as they are fattening up for the winter so lots to do in the great outdoors uh, we've got a great show lined up for you so you know what to do pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos because off the top we will be joined by Brittany Longoria uh, she recently made international headlines when a photo of her with a, a giant, and I mean a giant, Tom Leopard surfaced. Uh, somehow the antis got a hold of this, and, and Brit Brittany did not put this out there. It was leaked, uh, and the death threats started coming in droves. Uh, so Brittany, who comes from a background of big game conservation is very well versed on the subject of sustainable use hunting. Um, so we'll get into that. And then also, why does she think that the antis 
are so much more prone to attacking a female hunter than they are us guys. Because, yeah, I mean, we we feel hate. They say terrible things to guys as well. Uh, but it seems like they're much more vile towards a pretty young female than they are us dudes. Uh, so we'll get into that phenomenon, among other things, with Brittany. Uh, then, with dove season in full swing, our good friend and wild game chef, Hank Shaw will join us. He's got uh, a dove recipe, maybe even a, a teal recipe to share with us today. As I imagine, uh, many of y'all have uh, got some dove breast, maybe some teal breast, stored away in the freezer at this point in the season. Uh, and then at the bottom of the hour, we are going to talk panhandle pronghorn with Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting. It's very different hunting pronghorn in flat agricultural areas uh, compared to heading out west and chasing them in uh, Montana or Idaho or Wyoming. Uh, And so we'll take a look at how to hunt them in ag and, uh, and, you know, just antelope behavior in general, some of the uh, tactics that might work as the rut heats up, uh, some outside-of-the-box stuff, plus what caliber does Clay recommend Uh, And then Clay recently got back from Australia, so I want to hear about that hunt as well because he was over there damn near a month, so quite a few experiences to share on that front, I'm sure. Uh, That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. couple things to take care of here. We're giving away a Kofieger Ambush Rest. This is the rest we talked about last week uh, with Matt Baines. Um, We've got the whole package. It's like $500 value. And this is their rest that basically fits on any deer blind window seal. So uh, cool stuff from Kofieger, and that is our that is our October photo of the month grand prize. So send in your best hunting, fishing, outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on our Instagram using that hashtag LSOS photo contest, or you can throw it up on our Facebook page. Your choice. Uh, but send in your photo. And then our 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of uh, 2018 for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize package from Coons Canyon Ranch. Let's do a quick giveaway. This week's prize pack is from Vortex Optics. It includes a cap, shirt, and sticker. It's the uh, Mule Deer king of deer shirt kind of a riff on uh coors banquet beer i think uh is where that originated from but anyway email the word vortex that's vortex to to uh lone star outdoors show at gmail.com we'll get you entered into this week's giveaway for the vortex prize pack up next we visit with Brittany longoria regarding her leopard that made international headlines that's next on the lone star outdoors show As the sun shines down and dries this blood soaked ground, my heart is sick and sad. Cable here for iSocialBoost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let iSocialBoost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible iSocial Boost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. 
Plus, you'll save 80%. That's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR at isocialboost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, isocialboost.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. I drive a pickup I bought in high school, built with pride in Detroit steel. She's 40 years old, but she purrs like a kitten when I climb behind the wheel. I could trade her in, no problem, for something newer, shiny and fast. That's the music of Austin in Cunningham, something world, made to last, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today as we are rocking and rolling, about to get into a little hunter harassment and uh, why, why it is that the anti-hunters really just can't handle it when a female, a strong, young, you know, often attractive-looking female harvests a big game animal. I mean, hell, they give us guys crap all the time, uh, but it pales in comparison to some of the things they'll say to a woman. Uh, just downright nasty. And Brittany Longoria of Trinity Oaks has been in uh, the headlines of late. She drew the ire of the anti-hunting community after uh, a photo of her with a big leopard surfaced here in recent weeks and Britt will join us momentarily to discuss that uh, phenomenon and how she's handled it um, but before we do that this segment is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club the worldwide leader in big game conservation I'd like to get you plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters rights education and conservation to do so why don't you check us out at biggame.org we'd love to have you all right. Well, with that being said, let's bring on our first guest here. It is my pleasure to welcome the uh, great nonprofit Trinity Oaks Executive Director, Brittany Longoria, to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, I know that you are the Executive Director of Trinity Oaks, a uh, fabulous nonprofit based out of the South Texas area. Talk a little bit about what you do for the uh, organization. Well, Trinity Oaks is a volunteer-based organization that works with veterans, youth, terminally ill, uh, physically disabled, mentally disabled, um, all different folks from different demographic needs, getting them outdoors, hunting, and fishing. Yeah, we had the, uh, what is the founder's name again? Uh, Tom Snyder. Yeah, Tom. He was on the show. It had to have been eight years ago, maybe. I mean, Trinity Oaks has been around for a while. Um and this, it seems like it's it's grown exponentially since that time. Absolutely. I and mean, we also have staff working with um, first responders as well as doing a whole meat production and distribution. Um, we basically process and distribute over 100,000 pounds of meat, which equates to <laughs> over half a million meals throughout Texas. Yeah. And aren't, aren't there, isn't there a chapter program now? Yes, it's called Branches. So it's uh-huh. plan words of how we're branching out to the different areas throughout Texas. Very cool. Yeah, I ran into, uh, I guess it was like maybe the North Texas branch at one of the uh, trophy hunter extravaganzas this summer. Uh, nice. so, so that was cool because I didn't know that y'all had expanded to that degree. Um, so well done yeah, on that so front. Thank you. Those, and those help with more of a of a local focus. 
um, hitting the community where where they see it and working with individuals right there in their own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Britt, talk a little bit about your background as a hunter. Well, I grew up hunting. Um, so from age five or six, I would be going out with my father into the Maine woods. Uh, we would be deer hunting, which in Maine really just means sitting under a tree whittling a stick <laughs> for a couple hours. Um, and then I, I got into bird hunting and raised bird dogs, and that was a lot more fun because it was so much more interactive and social, better weather, um, beautiful fall foliage. And that kind of evolved into big game hunting that brought me to Africa working in the safari industry um, during my summer vacation, being a, they call an appy, basically an apprentice hunter, professional hunter, uh-huh. uh, working around safari lodges. And what uh, what countries were you uh, working uh, over in, in Africa? Uh, mostly, mostly South Africa. Um, and then throughout my kind of environmental and conservation career, I've done a lot of work in East Africa as well. Okay. Yeah, I've made the, the trek to South Africa a couple times um, last each of the past two summers going back again. But I'm starting to get the itch for something a little darker and, and more mysterious, you know, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it gets in your blood. I'd recommend Zambia. Yeah, Zambia. It's, okay. Yeah, it's very wild Africa, but still a lot more affordable than East Africa. Okay, awesome. Um, well, your dad is a uh, he, he is or was very involved with uh, SCI. I believe that uh, you're a life member as well. Yes, yes. My dad um, was very involved on the chapter level, um, on the board of directors of Safari Club International, and then he became the first president of Safari Club International Foundation and had three consecutive terms for six years. So he basically was the the founder of creating the platform for the, the foundation, which focuses more on wildlife conservation, whereas Safari Club International focuses more on the hunter advocacy side. Mm-hmm. And now do you still have family back in Maine, or has everyone uh, spread out from there? Um, my folks are in New England for the summer and the fall, and then they're in Texas for the winter. Okay, perfect. Um, well, let me ask you this. What is your, you've traveled the world, what is what is your favorite thing to hunt? My favorite thing to hunt? Um, I would say Cape Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They are extremely intelligent with the herd mentality. There's lots of eyes and ears. Um they can turn around and hunt a predator back, whether it's a human hunter or a, a lion or a pack of wild dogs. So they're extremely aware and very challenging, and you, you very much have to earn earn the hunt and work hard for it. Oh, sure. Uh, I have not harvested a Cape buffalo myself, but I was uh, allowed, I would say, to tag along on my buddy's hunt, and uh, it was you know, you spend a week with these PHs, and it's all high fives and back slapping and you know, mm-hmm. fun and games until you until you say, let's go get a Cape Buffalo, and then uh, yeah. you know, the two pipes come out, you know, the the PH guns and <laughs> yeah. and everything is serious business at that point. Uh, I've told the story on the air before, but it, it was starting to sprinkle a little bit, and I slipped on this rock as we were like maybe a hundred yards away from where we thought the buffalo were, 
Mm-hmm. And my PH turned around and looked at me with this. I, I never felt so small on a hunt. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me, man? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot of mental and physical fortitude as well as, as emotional fortitude yeah. to, yeah. to do it. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, a photo of you holding a giant tom leopard went viral. I, I hunted it this past July. Oh, okay. In yeah. Okay. And so did the antis get a hold of that pretty much immediately or Well, what happened was it was posted without my permission as part of the Safari Club International Record Book. I am mm-hmm. very much a believer of recording my hunting heritage, providing the scientific data, location of of my hunts. Um and this photo being that it was a really large a really large tom, um they wanted to promote the kind of the the size of it and the impressiveness of of them, and they had posted it on their site, which then got pulled by a lady named Sue Dickinson in South Africa, who's a animal rights activist as well as a wildlife um, artist, and her post was basically name her and shame her, find her, do a basically a digital witch hunt um, to bring attention to anti-hunting kind of um, thought processes and campaigns and stuff like that. So it went viral from from her mm-hmm. um, and then just spread like wildfire throughout Hollywood and everywhere else internationally. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Uh, I'm sure that as soon as it you know, as soon as she posted it, I'm sure that the death threats just started coming in in droves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's there's, I mean, public posting of of death threats and comments and stuff like that. But then some of the real violent and disgusting ones come in privately, um, and it's just, it's really just a lot of noise. I, I feel it's very abstract. I mean, it's all up in cyberspace, and it's kind of, it's kind of intangible in the sense that. People are hiding behind computers and they're being so cruel and so genuinely evil towards someone else's way of of life. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the thing that is so interesting to me is, okay, I've taken bears, I've killed a mountain lion, a wolf, all things that typically anti-hunters gravitate towards. They can't handle when people kill predators or harvest predators through sustainable, you know, the sustainable use hunting model. They they just can't wrap their minds around it. Um, And I received and do receive on a regular basis, you know, plenty of hate. But it's nothing like a good-looking girl or or young woman gets. You're an attractive young lady. Why do you think that, you know, when... I don't know what it is about the, the, the female aspect of it, but it seems like you guys, when this happens, get infinite more hate, you know, negativity, associated with your harvest than, than men ever do? I think it's just a societal kind of juxtaposition of you think of a woman as a very soft, kind of sentimental porcelain doll that you put up on a on a shelf, and it's hard to then put that person into a position where they have the endurance and the mental fortitude to be going and, and doing these types of, of hunts. Um, so I think it's just a it's a hard cultural thing to wrap around the head, and that's why I think they go after women 
more vigorously than than a male hunter. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean that that makes sense. I think uh, intimidated, they're intimidated by the power. I think that it displays, um, like you said, to to have that endurance, stamina, and mental fortitude to to get out there. Because uh, let's just take a leopard hunt for example. I don't, I doubt yours took 21 days, but when you book a leopard hunt. Uh, most outfitters say, hey, you know, this is a 21-day commitment. Absolutely. And it's, when, you're, when you're hunting a leopard, it's all about the leopard. I mean, if you're, if you're hunting any other species, it's basically getting baits ready to then hang and watch and see what is coming in and, and be able to select which leopard you're going to be taking because we're having young leopards come in, females come in, things that were not what a proper ethical hunter would want to be taking out of the population. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it takes a lot of time and due diligence in order to be able to be that selective and ensure that your your population balance is correct based on, on what you're doing. So it was, it was definitely <laughs> a, a, a long process. And so did you get to take part in the, you know, a lot of times they take, they call animals uh, to use, you know, for the bait sites, um, which for me sounds like a lot of fun, uh, extra hunting time, trigger time. Uh, did you get to partake in that process? Yes. Yeah. No. And, and all of those animals, I mean, we took out the, the awesome tenderloins and had those for dinner and, you know, any of like the haunches and the innards and different things like that were what we're using for bait. So sure. certainly all of those animals were fully used as well. And now where was this hunt? In Namibia. Uh-huh. And so, and, and tell me, how many how, about how many baits or trail cameras uh, combinations do you think that uh, your your outfitter had out? Well, we were, geez, we we're probably going through five or six of them. Uh-huh. And we would, I mean, in this the, where I was hunting was a real mountainous area, so we would be looking for game trails that were going through and different habitat where you'd have real thick stuff where a leopard would want to be you know, concealed and be able to come out in the different areas and different things like that. So I would say we would change them every other day. So there'd be a rotation of the different ones, um, but probably five or six that we were working mm-hmm. pretty consistently. Okay. And how, how many days into the trip were you able to, to harvest the tom? Um, it was probably the morning of the fifth day. Uh-huh. Ah, so you got pretty fortunate there. <laughs> yes. No. It. I mean, like I said, there were probably there there were four or five different leopards coming in, so mm-hmm. there was just a huge population in this area. Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, this is uh, basically nighttime. I mean, you're hunting at dark. That's when these leopards are coming in. Generally, I know uh, some do get harvested during the day, but uh, was that your experience? Um. Yes and no. Things were coming in at all different times. Uh-huh. Um, it was really hard to pattern out the the tom, and so he actually ended up coming in at first light. Oh wow, that's cool. So it was a, it was a on that particular one. It was an all night wait. I was asleep on the floor <laughs> on, on the on the dirt, <laughs> not the floor, but on the on the ground. And you know, it comes in, and I get a good boot in the side, and say, okay, 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 get ready. So. <laughs> what, what caliber did you take him with? Um, I actually shot him with a 270, which I thought was quite low. Um, but it was a one-shot, accurate, done deal situation, so I was pleased with that. Sure. 
the 270, I would say, is like the stereotypical Texas deer rifle. If you're shooting inside 200 yards, is a, it's a great caliber. It, once you start taking it out a little further, that bullet starts dropping significantly. Yeah. But uh, I definitely have one in the gun safe. It's a great caliber. Um <laughs> So I assume you're getting this beast full body mounted. I don't know how much he weighed. Uh, I imagine probably close to 200 pounds. It looked like. Yeah, he. I think he was. A, I think the the conversion was about 180. Oh wow, so big. And and I did pick him up myself. I mean, that was part of the haters were out there saying that. Oh my gosh, it's fake because you couldn't pick it up. Right. I do CrossFit, and I I can pick him up myself. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, so back to the. The hypocrisy of the the liberal left, the the anti hunters, um, it, it never ceases to amaze me how we have this group who, in our society here in in the United States, preaches hey love, peace, so, social acceptance, but then you go out and kill an animal, and they become the most uh, viral group of, and they're like they become like a pack of wolves, you know, they're just uh, have an insatiable appetite for uh, just negative uh, things that you you would never say to a person in public. No, I you know honestly, there's I think it's and people probably aren't going to agree with me this. So I preface it that way. I feel as a hunter and as part of the hunting culture, we don't do a good job with our storytelling. Mm-hmm. I do not personally post that photo, and I would not personally post that photo. I don't have any trophy photos previously on social media or anything like that because I would want to respect the animal. That photo was specifically taken to illustrate the size of the head and the size of the body that did not show up when we were taking photos of it laying flat. Mm -hmm. And that's what I submitted privately to the record book for their record keeping. So, I think that, yeah, I I can understand why people that have a softer sentimentality would be upset in seeing that. I I get it. I understand. The thing is, is that me as a hunter, I need to be more respectful of how I portray myself and the animals that I hunt. Sure. So with, with that, and that being said, if this was something that I would have controlled or had any control over, I would not have released that particular photograph. And in that sense, when you take a look at our ability to discuss why hunting is relevant in modern times, and especially hunting a predator, when you don't have the ability to say, oh, I'm, I'm hunting it for the freezer and this is what's going to feed my family. Um, basically, our culture from hunting is we fight back with facts and figures. We use this rigorous rationalism to defend something that is so emotional and so spiritual. It doesn't translate. Mm -hmm. And when we are, as hunters, out there expressing what we're doing and how we're doing it, we need to start learning to speak from our hearts. Right. Rather than going out and saying, well, look at all the benefits that we're doing. and This is helping economies and wildlife populations. This is conservation and stuff like that. So I would think that that would be essentially where it's stemming from is our own ability to become better storytellers. Sure. Well, and there are 
photos that I take uh, that I, you know, and, and I do post a lot. I mean, if I it, this is what I do for a living, so I do. If I harvest something, it's getting posted in the most tasteful way possible. But for like the wolf, for example, we trapped it in a in a leg hold by two toes, and I took a picture of its toes in that trap just for me or to show anybody that was interested in trapping. And never posted that photo, never will, um, mm-hmm. because I think stuff like that. Or you have a lot of trappers or, or guys who, you know, will post pictures of a live coyote in a leg hold. It's like mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff, we probably need to do a better job of monitoring uh, how we police ourselves and uh, and not give that fodder to the, the other side. Because, I mean, those are the ones that even when I see them, it's like, uh, why don't you just send that one to your buddy and, and you know, shoot the coyote and then put, post a picture. Right. So. Right. And, I mean, there's a, there's a thing where, I mean, if you look at, kind of prehistoric man. I mean, they're vicious hunters. I mean, they're running things off cliffs and basically beating things to death with clubs and stuff like that. So kind of our humane side of how we've evolved as hunters is definitely, I would say, a lot better than prehistoric um, relations. But at the same time, we've lost the ability to, to make what we do sacred. I mean, whether, I don't care whether it was someone baited for something or trapped for something or used dogs for something. Or, I mean, the, the process is what we need to articulate more so than just the end result. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. couldn't agree more. It's nice to, to speak to a pretty face that is as well-versed on this topic and sustainable use hunting. You know, I think... Uh, and I, this is no attack or, or nothing personal against someone like Kendall Jones, but uh, they don't they don't have that same ability to articulate how important sustainable use hunting is. It's just a pretty face, and I think that the antis have you know she's an easy target. Um, yeah. So to have someone that comes from your background, um, you know, I think is a, it's it's great for for us as a hunting community that you're able to put it into perspective as to why. Um, you know, sustainable use hunting is conservation. Absolutely. And I, and I think the thing is, is that we all have a story to tell and we all have the ability to influence people. But I think, again, I'm going to say the same thing again, is that we as hunters need to start watching how we are portraying ourselves. How What's the story and where is it coming from? Don't always talk from the head. You know, we need to start talking from the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, so last question here. What is your... What is your take then on the just, you know, regular old grip and grin, whether it's uh, an eight-year-old kid with his first buck, because I think that tells a story, uh, or, uh, you know, 58-year-old guy with the biggest buck of his lifetime? I, I think that trophy photos are one element of communication, but we need to tell a story behind it. Sure. I don't, I don't, I think that with, we can all agree on that it's nice to set up the animal, remove the blood, you know, stick the tongue back in. Oh, my God, cut the it. tongue out. Yeah, whatever. Just get it out of the picture. <laughs> you know, I, just, I mean, make it look as respectful as possible. And if we start from that as our, our basis, then the story needs to follow, like I said, from the heart. Mm-hmm. You need to say, hey, this was my son that was eight years old and this was his first buck and I can remember when I first hunted and this is how he felt and da, 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 da. It's, it's that making sacred and honoring the hunt that's the important, much more so than just the photograph. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I certainly appreciate the time, Britt. Uh, congrats on uh, the the beautiful leopard. I'm I'm sorry that it was leaked. I'm glad I got to see it though, personally, because it's a hell, of a, <laughs> hell of a cat. It's a it was a hunt of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all you're doing over at, at Trinity Oaks as well. Uh, it's, well, uh, thank you. Certainly. And if anyone needs more information on Trinity Oaks, it's just trinityoaks.org. Perfect. Well, hey, Britt, thanks again. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. All right. There she goes, Brittany Longoria of Trinity Oaks, um, passionate big game hunter, been doing it her whole life. And I'm certainly jealous. Like I said, Leopard is numero uno on my bucket list. And uh, someday, maybe that'll happen. I don't know. It's pretty expensive. I don't know if y'all have priced one lately, but uh, <laughs> you have to start saving my pennies. That segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't seen the Big Chingone, check it out. I bet Britt wishes that she had one uh, on her leopard hunt. <laughs> Would have made things a lot more comfortable for an all-night leopard stakeout. Uh, but the Big Chingone has it all. It's got room for three or four people. Uh, it's got cup holders. It's got shelves. It's got carpet. You name it. Windows for both archery and rifle. Uh, so whatever you need the Big Chingone to do, it's going to do it for you. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with an old friend with dove season in full swing and early teal in our rearview mirror. Uh, we've got some recipes to get into, and we'll do that with the great Hank Shaw after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I the white smoke from the rifle. I feel the bullet go deep in my chest. From out of nowhere, Bolina has found me kissing my cheek as she kneels by my side. Did you know that you can manage specifically for wildlife? Yep, yep. Birds and deer don't show up on cue. We all know that. You need a plan to attract them. That's where Plateau Land and Wildlife comes in. If you're a landowner currently in ag and you're done messing with cattle and mending fences, but you want the same low property taxes for less work, well, you know what to do. Check out my friends over at Plateau Wildlife. Call 866-256-2935 or go to PlateauWildlife.com today. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. 
Check it out. It's the Go Wild app. Available for both iPhones and Androids. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. I was alone there with no birds inside. I did everything that I could and went to the roost at night. I don't know where it started or where it might end. And I was in danger of being scumped once again. <laughs> One of my favorites there from my good friend James Yates, looking for dove in all the wrong places. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here today. I imagine the majority of us have some dove breast squared away in the freezer. Hopefully you had a couple good hunts at least so far this season. As we are already in October, that means we're one month into it now. Um, still got two more months to go, though. So a very long dove season this year, the longest on record uh, for Texas. Early teal season and resident goose uh, came and went. Hopefully you had a chance to get out and take advantage of uh, one or both of those as well. And if you're lucky enough to have uh, some of them tucked away, well, we've got some recipes to get into in just a second, we'll do that with renowned wild game chef, our old friend, Hank Shaw. But first, you know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of. They never will, but we all want it. So if you're at that point in your life uh, where you're ready to make the plunge, make that investment on a hunting property, uh, a recreational property, or just a place to, to get away from the big city, let Lone Star Ag Credit help you out. And you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Uh, all right, uh, well, let's go ahead and bring on a good friend of the show. I would say, you know, we don't really have any regular guests, but uh, Hank Shaw has been on about as many times as anyone else. I think it's seven or eight now, Hank. And I always enjoy talking hunting and, and wild game cooking with you, so appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me back on. My pleasure, buddy. So what in the world have you been up to? Uh, probably doing a little touring and I don't know what else. Uh, have you been Have you been doing any dove hunting? I did actually get a chance to do some dove hunting, which is which is great for me because this whole year I've been out all over the country touring for pheasant quail cottontail. But you know, all work and no play makes makes Hank a dull boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so did you have a Did you have a good opener? Well, I didn't hit the opener, but I hit the opening weekend, and we had a really, really great opportunity to go to uh, California farm country. And you know, for if you you know, obviously dove hunting is religion in Texas. Oh, yeah. And what you don't necessarily realize is it's religion in farm country in California, too. I mm. mean, it's it's a huge deal. I mean, it was to the point where the guy's farm that we hunted, um, he's like, yeah, no, we can't actually come out and hunt on the opening two days because that's sacred to us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, we, we knocked out limits both days, and, uh, and then we got a whole bunch of bonus Eurasian collar dubs. Oh, I didn't know California was infested with those as well. We are indeed, and they're delicious. Oh, yeah, and they're bigger, so uh, bigger than morning and, and the white wings that we get in Texas. We have a bunch of them uh, out in, like, West Texas. Well, you're saying farm country. Well, like, our ag country is just covered up with those Eurasians, and no limit to them. Yeah, yeah, no season, no limits. Super yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, so speaking of Dove, let's start here. Let's start with, uh, you know, everyone, and I made some yesterday. I made, uh, you know, everyone does jalapeno Dove poppers uh, right. with the jalapeno, stick it in the, you know, middle of the Dove breast, wrap it with bacon. And I skipped the cream cheese because I did a like a Korean barbecue version where I, oh, there you go. yeah, just, uh, you know, take a big bowl, put all of the, once you've, Put them on the grill, you know, firmed up the bacon, cooked the, the dove to medium, medium rare, whatever your preference is. And then I just tossed them in that, that sauce, that Korean barbecue sauce, and served it over uh, steamed white rice. And we had people over for the cowboy game, and they just, oh, they all loved it. So, yeah, that's but a, I skipped that's the cream cheese idea. on that one. Uh, I would, too, with that, with that kind of a sauce. Yeah, it was, it was a hit. So uh, that's, what, that's what, I, what I did with my, my dove harvest so far. What are, what are you doing with yours? I think the the thing I'm most uh, happy with this season, you know, because every year I try to come up with some new dove recipes because mm-hmm. you know, you know, you do this for years and years and years, and of course you got to do some poppers, and and we can talk about you know proper proper technique if you want. Um, but I I made I breasted out a whole bunch of Eurasian collar doves and then pounded that dove meat uh, until it was you know even thickness. Mm-hmm. And then uh, made them like country fried steak and served them with an Appalachian tomato gravy. Oh wow! And that came out amazing. Okay, so you you breast them out, take the take the dove off the bone there, and you pounded mm-hmm. them with a mallet into basically like you would tenderize a, a a venison steak. Exactly. So you do it basically. You make the the fat end of the dove breast the same thickness as the thin end of the duck breast so it's not like you're beating the hell out of them you just yeah you know it's a couple of couple two three taps each time and then you know you country fry them you know so it's you know seasoned seasoned flour uh i happen to use cavender sealing seasoning and uh it's one of those seasonings i like a lot uh but you can use literally any seasoning you want and then an egg wash which is you know beaten egg with a little bit of buttermilk, uh-huh. and then um, I I like to go old school, so I take a sleeve of saltine crackers and mash them up with a rolling pin, and then use that as my breadcrumbs. Nice, nice. And okay. fry it in bacon fat, and then uh, the the sauce itself is it's at it's an Appalachian tomato gravy, so it's bacon fat and minced up onion and uh, some really good garden tomatoes, but you could use you could use canned ones as well. And then you cook that until it's done, and you know. So basically, it's got to it's got to kind of dissolve a little bit, and then it's got lots and lots of cracked black pepper, and you can thicken it if you want by putting a little flour or cornmeal into the uh, into the mix right when the onions go in. And okay, what is so the desired looks thickness like an Italian on, gravy. on that kind of like flavor. a gravy? You know, like yeah. a it's like a thickness of um, like thinner than a sawmill gravy, but thicker than a Thanksgiving gravy. Okay, and it's in, and you want it a little bit chunky. Awesome. That sounds delicious. I'll have to try that. It's super good. <laughs> super good. It's basically the South answer to tomato sauce. Uh-huh. That's, and that's something that you hadn't tried before? No, no. I mean, I've had tomato gravy before. I've had chicken fried steak. But I've never decided, never put the two together for, for does. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I'll have to put that one into the rotation. 
you've probably got a nice blue wing teal uh, recipe. What when is when is California's early teal season? We don't have one actually. Um, because we're uh, we're straight up. I don't. You know, I'll be honest. I don't really love teal season. Yeah. Um, it's hot. And it's hot. It's sticky. There's <laughs> mosquitoes and gators and you know, ugh, ugh, you know. I just I'm, I'm happy. We don't get blue wing teal really very much either. We get green wing teal. So they're basically the same bird in the kitchen though. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I, I like y'all get cinnamon teal. teal in the Pacific Flyway too. We do. We get a lot. And actually, people fly from all over the country to, to get their really pretty cinnamon teal if they're trying to get all of the, the duck species. Yeah. But oh, yeah. They're, not, they're not as good eating as a blue or a green wing teal. Really? I wonder why. They're, closer, they're more closely related to shovelers. Ah, okay. So they're sifting through the, that nasty yeah, stuff. Yeah. So they're not as nasty as, as some shovelers are, but they're not as pretty as a blue or a green on the table. Yeah. Yeah, I, we don't get those cinnamon teal in Texas very often, so that's still one that uh, is high, high on my bucket list. So, oh, California yeah. in January. January, okay. Right I've on. shot four in one day once. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Beautiful ducks. Well, they so, are beautiful. All right, so we'll. I'm ho- hopefully going to bring back a bunch of uh, blue wing teal breasts. What uh, What is something you know different that you've done as far as preparing uh, teal? that our listeners might not have tried before. Sure. Well, I mean, for starters, you know, pound out the teal breast and do the exact recipe that we just talked about with uh-huh. uh, the tomato gravy. I mean, it works exactly the same and is every bit as good. Um, one trick when you're doing those country fried steaks with uh, with small bird breasts, make sure, I mean, if it's a dove or a duck because it's red meat, you want to serve that pink inside. So when you when those Floured uh, dove or duck breasts hit the hit the hot grease. Excuse me. When they hit the hot grease, what you really want is for them to be cold. So then you can get a real nice uh, a real nice crust on it, and it won't be overcooked inside. So that's a little pro tip on cooking teal or or dove breast. So once you have them battered, basically you put them back in the refrigerator for a little bit. You don't have to, but you know you want to you want to batter them when the meat is very cold. Okay. Okay. Another another good thing with uh, like if you're just doing teal breasts, um, you know Chinese food is always a good choice. Fajitas are always a good choice. Uh, I I really like plucking some teal though. You know I'll pluck, you know maybe enough teal for everybody to have one, and then I'll put them in uh, I'll put them in a very very hot hot grill. You know maybe uh, five six hundred degrees, and then just Roast them like that, hopefully over smoke for maybe I don't know, doesn't they doesn't take more than ten minutes, uh-huh. and those are amazing. You know, just sit there and eat them like giant doves. Wow. Okay, I, that's a lot of work plucking a teal for a small bird. <laughs> you know, I mean, sounds like it's yeah, worth but it, the though. skin is always yeah, it's totally worth it. I mean, you know, besides teal are really easy to pluck. They're the easiest duck to pluck. Um, you know, you, you don't even have to do the wax method. You know, you can just you can just dry pluck them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying do it with all of them, but if you shot a whole bunch of nice ones, like if your your shooting was on and you didn't center pattern them, and you know the breast meat, you know the breast is all nice and clean, yeah, you're good to go. So head shoot them. <laughs> always. You mean you don't always head shoot your teal? I'm lucky if I hit one out of a group, Hank. I'm not gonna lie. Those those sons of guns are they're they're some sporty shooting. Uh, they really are. It's funny because everybody thinks that they're so fast, and they're not terribly fast, but what they are is aerobatic. Yeah. So they juke and dive and, and get out of your way, your pattern, really easy. Absolutely. And a lot of times they come in such a big group, it's like that. It's 
it's like the shotgunners, like, it's what you want to see. You want to, oh, look, we got 30 teal coming in. And then when they're actually there, everyone's shooting at the same teal, or sometimes you catch yourself just shooting into the group because the one you were aiming at moved, and, you know, it's just uh, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those one of those beautiful things about uh, early teal season. Do you know the starburst trick? Uh-uh. So if you've got a bunch of teal, if you've got a flock of teal, they're coming in. They're going to be doing their thing. They're coming in too close, coming in, coming in, coming in. Somebody stands up early. And all the teal go ah, and they t- and they like flare into a starburst pattern. Oh. And when they do that, they're way easier to shoot. All right, I'm gonna try that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a trick. So like somebody stands up early, and everybody will get shooting in. But what that causes them to do is is you know right when they get to the decoys, they you know stand up and they'll flare on you, mm-hmm. and then that flare uh, actually presents a better target. And about. 18 years of waterfowling, I've never heard of that, but that's, it certainly sounds like it would work, especially with teal. Make, like it's said. an old-timer's technique. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I actually wrote an article on early teal hunting, uh, and uh, we just hit on that last week. And, you know, the, the cool thing about teal is they're so easy to trick. You don't, you don't have to overthink it. Use your oldest right. decoys. You know, they don't have to match. You don't have to have your fancy bright green mallards. You know, just throw some decoys out there. You don't have to call, you know, really at all. You can if you want to, but uh, a dove mojo works just fine. Instead of, you know, you don't have to have a mallard right. mojo. I mean, really, it's as They actually make teal mojos, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had one of those over the years. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, okay, well, so those are some uh, dove and teal recipes folks probably should check out this season. What else is on Hank's mind as far as, uh, I know, what, you've got probably quite a few quail hunts lined up. Uh, I do, I yeah. do. I mean, most of what I'm spending the time this season though is is trying to trying to spread the word about the the new cookbook. Uh-huh. Um, and it's you know it's pheasant quail cottontails covering all of the upland game birds. So it's covering doves, it's covering wild turkeys and quail and pheasants and rabbits and all that kind of stuff. And so you know I've already been through Texas. Um, I was in Dallas and in Austin this summer, and then I'm kind of headed to the Midwest, but. You know, every now and again, uh, you know, when I'm in the middle of touring, I'm going to try and take some time off for quail and take some time off for grouse and take some time off for woodcock and that sort of thing. And it just keeps me sane, you know, when I'm going, going, going. You know, I've got, a, I think I've got another 30 events before we're all said and done. Oh, wow. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I love my copy. There's no doubt about that. How many, let's see, you've got uh, pheasant, quail, cottontail, uh, buck, buck, moose. And we'll see what you've got. How many other I've, books? I've though? got a, two. I've got a duck and goose cookbook called Duck, Duck, Goose. Um, and that one has been out for a while and it's still doing well. Um, and my first book was called uh, Hunt, Gather, Cook. And that's got a little bit of everything in it. It's It's got a section on hunting, a section on fishing, and a section on foraging. Uh-huh. So that's, that's, the, that's the first thing I wrote. Well, so speaking of foraging, I uh, just got back from this elk hunt in New Mexico a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we're up there in the mountains. Nor- Northern New Mexico, this time of year, September is like a rainforest. It, it rained on us every day. And I cannot tell you how many different kinds of, of fungus I saw up there. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't know which ones were edible. I mean, literally, probably saw 30 different kinds a day. Uh, red ones, white ones, brown ones, big ones, small ones, you know, the whole, the whole gambit. Uh, but, yeah, I have, honestly have no idea which ones are edible. So. Yeah, I mean, some of it is if you're in cell phone range, just text me a photo, and I can sometimes I can identify them. Um, 
But yeah, New Mexico and Arizona, right after the rains come, that can be really, really wonderful. You know, you'll have, you know, porcini and chanterelles, and and I mean, there's got to be 14 different kinds of edible mushrooms. Oh yeah. In in that area, right right at the beginning of September. Oh, which have done surprisingly one bit from everything that we saw, and uh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, no cell service, so I just looked at them and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, that between that and. You know, trying to stay Giardia free, filtering your water. I yeah, <laughs> had enough things to worry about while trying to kill an elk. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's serious. That's seriously true. Yeah. But some of those would have been the trick tasty was, in those ramen the, the noodles. The trick with being Giardia free is you go to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah well, I, I even then, you know, we were there was natural seeps that were like at the source, and I still didn't trust them. I filtered everything. So, <laughs> yeah. not willing to risk it, my friend. But, well, we need to get one of those quail hunts lined up. Uh, I know we've been talking about it for a couple of years, but shoot, I've never been to Arizona. Are you going, are you hunting quail in Arizona this year? A little bit. I'm going to be, I'm mostly on the, on the lookout for uh, squirrels where I'm going to go between Christmas and New Year's. Okay. Um, so one of the things that it's occurred to me is that I am closing in on the, on the North American small game slam. So everybody talks about the big game slam, but I'm closing in on the number of legal legal species of, of birds and small game that have a bag limit. That's that's kind of the structure I'm using. And there's three squirrel species in, in Arizona that I have not yet hunted, and I'm going to try and close in on them. But you can guarantee that there'll be there'll be uh, quail there at the same time. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's uh. Let's get something on the books. I'd love to tag along and and uh, enjoy some of your cooking right there in camp. Yeah, we should try and do. We should try and chase some blue quails, a scale quail, uh, either in West Texas or uh, or New Mexico. Absolutely, I love a I love a good blue quail shoot. That's a uh, West Texas is probably pretty good. We have a lot of those in South Texas too, but there's so many cactus. It's it's hell on a dog down there. It really is. You need a dog that's used to it. Well, good stuff, my friend. Y'all check it out. The latest cookbook is Pheasant, Quail, Cottontail. You can find it, uh, I'm sure, on Amazon. And then, Hank, if you want to plug your website and social media outlets. Sure. sure. Uh, so the website, uh, and this is the one where you'll find that recipe for the, the country fried doves or teal with the, the, red gra- uh, the tomato gravy, is huntgathercook.com. And it's called Hunter, Angler, Gardener, Cook. And you will find me on social media at HuntGatherCook on Instagram and also on Facebook. Right on, brother. Well, Hank, yeah. I always enjoy our conversations and uh, find inspiration. And a lot of times, even if I don't follow your recipe like to a T, I draw inspiration from like, oh, that's cool, but hey, I don't have that ingredient, so I'll throw this in there. And usually it's more of like just a, a tribute than the actual, you know, <laughs> 100% uh, the way that you prepared it. But it always turns out good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what cooking is. It's improvisation and inspiration. Yeah. Well, I find a lot of it in your recipes, so uh, I certainly appreciate it, man. Good deal. All right. Take care, Hank. Thanks a lot. So there he goes, our good friend and wild game chef, Hank Shaw. I always do enjoy my time with Hank. That segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. If you want to change the game and really start piling up the yotes, bobcats, and feral hogs under the cover of darkness, because let's be honest, that's when those animals are the most active, most receptive to calling uh, for the predators, then check out Pulsar's lineup of night vision and thermal scopes. You can find it at pulsarnv.com. 
And if you find one that strikes your fancy, use that promo code Lone Star to save 20% off your order and get free shipping. You can find that all at PulsarNV.com. Well, up next, uh, we've got an interesting topic to get into, hunting pronghorn antelope in agricultural regions. We'll do that with longtime outfitter Clay Pope. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. And I swore one day I had to make it mine. Oh, my mama said you'll never be a rich man in heaven now, but neither will you find the guitar playing kind. When you're young, you have your fun, but then you must move on. Andrew Delaney's guitar playing kind, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here today as we are rocking and rolling. Got some pronghorn antelope discussion to get into here in just a minute. Uh, first, though, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. And thanks to Sendero Seed Company for bringing you this segment. Sendero Seed Company has everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. You can find them at SenderoSeed.com. Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. All right, uh, well, let's bring on our next guest. He is a longtime friend of mine. I've hunted with Clay Pope and Pope Brothers Guide Service uh, multiple times. Took an antelope with him. Back in, gosh, I think it was 2015. And just as soon as we get off the air today, I'm going to point that V8 Pony West and uh, we're going to chase Panhandle Pronghorn once again. Uh, When you chase antelope in agricultural-based regions, it's a lot different than, say, doing it out west in Montana or Wyoming or name your western state. Uh, So, anyway... Here to talk Panhandle Pronghorn, it's my pleasure to welcome Clay Pope back to the program. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, so obviously you guys have had a, you had a busy summer. We finally transitioned into uh, hunting season here, and I, and I want to talk some pronghorns today. But before we do that, uh, give us some of the highlights from this past summer, because you guys never quit. You're chasing something somewhere from exotics to free-ranging axis deer, I mean, uh, Pope Brothers, 
really has no bounds as far as what they can or uh, what they're not willing to pursue for their clients. Yeah, this uh, over the summer, um, I actually spent a uh, a month in Australia, and I think next year I'm going to take some guys over to Australia at the at the beginning of the summer and do a few things. But while I was gone, and whenever I got back, we do a ton of axis deer through the summer months. Uh, that's the best time to hunt them. They're in the rut. And the biggest majority of them are in hard antler. You know, we do quite a few of them. We have a ton of uh i'd say probably 75 percent of what we do is free range uh-huh. you know so <clears throat> i do have some high fence ranches to hunt, but a big majority of what we hunt is free range up in the up in you know every direction the junction you know where we're based out of us so yeah right on so lots of access deer <clears throat> go back to australia though because i'm interested in that i i didn't realize you spent a whole month over there um what all did you hunt while you were in the uh land down under well this is my third trip and on this trip everybody knows i'm a big predator hunter i shot quite a few uh red fox while i'm over there Uh uh-huh um which are invasive do what yes they're an invasive species and i have you know i have some friends that that have uh chicken farms and stuff like that and so, you know, it's a big help, you know, helping them, you know, control some predators. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shot a, a fallow deer and a red stag this this trip, and I was after a sandbar deer and uh, wasn't able to get one this trip, but uh, I'm sure I'll be back and try it again in the future. Right. Yeah, I mean, from what I know about Australia, it's like this this melting pot of invasive species that have been dumped onto this island and you know like everything from what you said red fox to red stag fallow deer and then even like water buffalo Um, yeah so as far as uh their their landscape there though it's not it's not like high fence ranches like you would think uh texas it's isn't it pretty much um free range uh, I would say a big bulk uh, of everything there is free range. There are, you know, some high fence, you know, it's starting to catch on a little bit, but uh-huh. but hunting there is nothing like, you know, nothing like, you know, being from Texas and growing up around it and being around it your whole life. Um, it's definitely, you know, a lot different there, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, through the years, I've killed water buffalo. I've killed just about everything except for camels. I'd like, to, I'd like to shoot a camel. <laughs> uh, one of my, one of my real good friends uh, just went and uh, shot a camel. And uh, maybe my next trip over, you know, try to. That's about, that's about the only species I don't have that uh, that you can that you can hunt over there is a camel. So and they're invasive too, I guess, just running around, huh? Yeah, yeah, yes. Wow. That's incredible, incredible. What, so, what are some of the native species? Obviously, uh, kangaroos. Um, kangaroos, and there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of natural predators for kangaroos. And I've told people it's the first year I went, I went on a kangaroo call hunt, and um, it was. Uh, it was pretty eye-opening. I mean, and driving over there and seeing how many kangaroos are hitting on the road, and 
Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of kangaroos over there. They have to, you know, they have to call them because, uh, you know, they just get overpopulated and, you know, then they starve to death. So, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, they have that, they, you know, the dingoes are, are, are there, but they have, uh, you know, the dingoes aren't everywhere. They're in certain places and then they have, uh, they really don't have a whole lot of indigenous species there. Everything was brought in mainly by the Europeans through the years. The, you know, all the exotics, you know, all the basic exotic species, the red stag, you know, there's some black buck there. There's, uh, fallow, red stag, uh-huh. risa deer, sandbar deer. And I've even heard deer. the dingoes. Like I, I've read a lot of stuff on that species, whether it's, it's, genetically a pure species you know to itself or whether uh they're really just wild dogs at the end of the day right Um, right so and i don't know i don't know what the answer is it'd be it'd be interesting to dive into that a little bit deeper um lots of schools of of thought on that but uh have you shot a dingo before i have i have um about the size of a coyote yeah, about the size of a coyote. I mean, a little bit different. Um, a boxier head. Uh, yeah, their their tail is a little bit shorter and a little bit different. Um, but I'm very similar to a coyote. Mm-hmm. And what is their what is their main prey? I mean, do they eat the kangaroos? Yeah, they. I mean, they they'll eat everything. I mean, when I was Just here, like last, a coyote, they whatever they can catch. Yeah, I mean they. They had killed a calf on one of the ranches that I was on. I mean, so they they get into livestock and everything else, hmm. uh, just like a coyote would. Yeah. So interesting. So basically, uh, probably the same mentality that a lot of us have towards coyotes. Oh, for sure. For if you're sure. on a if you're on a hunt and you see a coyote, it turns into a coyote hunt. I imagine it's the same with a dingo. Yeah. Yes. And them, you know, the the predator hunting really isn't as as advanced i would say as it is here in the state so whenever you go over there and people you know hear that you know you like the predator hunt you know they're they get all excited and you know here you know go you know i have dingo problems come come see if you can't you know get rid of these dingoes for me you know so Mm. you know it's kind of like texas was probably 20 years ago you know yeah right right well, and Australia has some pretty strict gun laws. So, um, are you, are you able to take a rifle over there? I know a couple guys I that I follow, or we follow each other on Instagram, big predator hunters in Australia, and they have to shoot these red fox with shotguns, like over unders. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I would say, you know, a lot of Australia is maybe a little misunderstood. I mean, it, you know, there's the they still can have guns and they can buy guns. It's mainly semi-automatics, mm-hmm. whether it's a shotgun, whether it's a rifle. Um, and they don't, to have a pistol, you have to have a really special permit uh, to to have pistols there. But, it, you know, it's a little bit different. I've, I've taken a gun over there myself. It wasn't, you know, it's just paperwork. It's, it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um. And every every trip since my first trip, the next two trips, I just borrowed guns whenever I was there. Uh-huh. 
it just makes it easier. Yeah. Well, so are you when you're calling these foxes? Are you actually hunting with like a a shotgun? No, I use a I use a two twenty two quite a bit. Okay. Right on. I guess this these guys that uh, I'm. I would just say online social media buddies with uh, we like to see each other's stuff and um I don't guess they can get a, a two, two two or or two two three or anything they they literally hunt they call foxes and then shoot them with you know I would say like my granddad's side by side or or over under you know right 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 yeah. yeah I mean I've seen some of that but yeah the I mean they you know, one of the guys that I predator hunt with, I mean, he has some really nice custom custom rifles. He has a uh two twenty two, a two oh four, and then a couple of wildcat rounds that are, you know, really nice high end uh guns that are mm. that, you know, good three, four hundred yard guns. Fascinating. Well, I mean, we know we know what Australia, uh, why they are that way with the big, uh, basically, they burned all of the citizens' guns like in the 90s, yeah. uh, and that's why it's so difficult, like we said, to get a semi-auto or a pistol, uh, but I do applaud all the guys that are out there grinding it out with what I would say are inferior guns than what most of us would hunt with back home, you know? Right, right. Well, Clay, uh, I didn't realize we would spend basically a whole segment talking about Australia. We uh, we got off the, the path there, and I'm glad we did because it's definitely a place that I'd love to hunt. The target-rich environment reminds me of Africa just from what I've, I've learned about Australia from folks like yourself. Uh, but let's do this. Let's take a quick break, come back, and talk some panhandle pronghorn. Sound good? I will see you all then. Good deal. And that segment was brought to you by John X Safaris, second generation safari outfit out of South Africa's Eastern Cape. I'm heading back June 5th through the 17th. Still have three spots left. If you want to join this group of, I think we're taking seven hunters plus myself this year. So this will be our third annual Lone Star Outdoors show trip to hunt anything and everything with John X Safaris. Shoot me an email, lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com. I'll send you the info and we'll get you ready to roll for South Africa 2019 with John X Safaris. We'll be right back with more from our good friend Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting. We're talking Panhandle Pronghorn next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Did you know that you can manage specifically for wildlife? Yep, yep. Birds and deer don't show up on cue. We all know that. You need a plan to attract them. That's where Plateau Land and Wildlife comes in. If you're a landowner currently in ag and you're done messing with cattle and mending fences, but you want the same low property taxes for less work, well, you know what to do. Check out my friends over at Plateau Wildlife. Call 866-256-2935 or go to plateauwildlife.com today. 
Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app. Available for both iPhones and Androids. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. I heard you sing the first time At the local in hall The smoky air made your eyes red They were staring straight through me now you sit on the sidewalk At the end of your shift Cold wind makes you tear As you wait for Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Show. Prodigal Star, brand new tune there Off of Alex Bellin's debut EP, Prodigal Star <laughs> Alex sent me the uh, copy of the record I'm certainly enjoying it and he mentioned that he's also a big duck hunter, so we might get on a hunt this fall, and who knows? He might bring his guitar, and I might take my recording stuff, see what happens. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys and gals for being here today as we are talking panhandle pronghorn, finally. <laughs> We're going to get into that with our good friend and longtime outfitter, Clay Pope. But first, this segment is brought to you by the new First Light Catalyst Softshell Jacket from the tree stand to the tundra. This jacket has it all. Uh, it's engineered to stretch and move with you. It's silent, breathable, and insulating. Check it out. It's the new Catalyst soft shell jacket, and you can find it at firstlight.com. All right, uh, well, Clay, thanks for sticking around through the break, my friend. Let's talk some pronghorn antelope, even though they are not an antelope at all, but have been referred to as such over the years, uh, so much so that people know what you're talking about if you just say antelope. Uh, but... Technically, they're a pronghorn, and uh, you've been outfitting for these guys in the Texas Panhandle 
for a long time. I think it's getting close to 20 years now. I think about 18, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And how, how has it changed over that time? Has it become more competitive? It seems like 20 years ago there, there weren't as many guys, especially in your part of the world, that were... Uh, when, I, when I first came up here, I would say, I was, you know, for the first 10 years I was here, you didn't even see another hunter up here at all. Uh-huh. And now it now you, you see quite a few hunters. It's be, become a lot more competitive, for sure. And, and where you guys hunt is basically, you know, the Texas panhandle. Um, up around like the Dumas area, essentially. I think that's where we're going to be staying, right? Dalhart, Dalhart. kind of in every every direction of Dalhart. We uh-huh. we have property that we hunt. So right on, right. And when people think about pronghorn out west, you know, they're thinking sagebrush, probably public land, big wide open spaces like you'd find in Wyoming, Montana. Uh, that's not where these things live in Texas. No, it's it's a little bit smaller, you know, smaller properties, crop country, um, you know, some, you know, CRP, some of that kind of grass, you know, some of this grassland country. But a lot of these pronghorn, um, you know, get right up in the farm country and and all that and different, you know, different years. You know, in the dry years, I, I think that they get, you know, they move into the crop country a little bit heavier, and in wet years, they'll move back up into the grasslands a little bit heavier. Uh-huh. But either way, it's pretty damn flat up there. It is flat. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I have some, you know, we have some bigger ranches, and then we have some smaller places that, you know, just traditionally uh, the pronghorn stay there, live there. And I've always been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so compared to, you know, the Western style, I mean, it, one thing that is absolutely the same is lots of time behind the glass. For sure. Um, the You know, most of your time pronghorn hunting is, is just trying to find the right one. I mean, you know, just traveling and looking and looking them over. And when you, when you find the right one, you know, it's usually, you know, the hunt's over with pretty quick then usually yeah well and just to explain the style and then i want to make sure that people understand that in texas it's it and i want to say this because if there's someone out there who's getting up in age or maybe they're not as physically fit and they're like well i'll never i'll never get to go pronghorn hunting because i can't hack it in the backcountry um you can definitely do it in texas because it's a lot of time basically um in the truck you know and once you find the right one then it's just a matter of putting a stock on it. And so, you know, you could be overweight, you could be 65, um, and you're still going to be able to get on a nice speed goat uh, in the panhandle. For sure, for sure. So what what are the, you know, what are some of the, the nicer goats that you guys have taken this season? And as far as this season is concerned, um, and, and I know it varies year to year based on precipitation by and large, but how have the uh, the animals um, horns looked, uh, and they are horns. They don't shed these pronghorn. Do not shed, so they are are actually horns and not uh, antlers. The you know this has been a pretty good year. We, I'd say everything that we've taken to this point has been kind of in that seventy to eighty inch range. I think the biggest one that we've taken is probably all oh, seventy nine inches or right in that ballpark. Um, 
you know, normally every year we'll we'll take a few that are you know in that 80 inch range, and we we hadn't we hadn't uh, got any like that yet. But uh, you know, we still have some time in the season. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just good solid trophy pronghorn, you know, uh-huh. and that you know our average is probably mid 70, and that's about you know a big bulk of what we've shot so far is kind of that's what it's kind of been and that's kind of what i advertise so sure sure and so one thing about these animals that i was kind of skeptical and i think it's because they have this reputation out west as being these sagebrush devouring uh goats you know and people are like oh you're not going to like the way they taste and i'm pretty adventurous and and i was like okay well i'll, I'll be open-minded and I hunted with you in 2015 with our good friend Glenn Underwood. We both came out there and each harvested a nice goat. And y'all cooked them up that first. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know if we got one the first day, but either it, was, it might have been the second day. We Glenn shot his pronghorn, and y'all cooked it up that night. And it was. I'm, and it's still to this day one of the best things I've ever eaten. I I'm a pretty picky big game you know game animal eater myself. I you know I'm pretty particular to to what I eat because I you know I hunt for a living so you know usually I'm a scimitar or axis I you know if I shoot a white tail I usually grind it into some kind of sausage mm-hmm. or make it into turkey or something like that but pronghorn every year I kind of hope that a few guys donate their pronghorn and don't want to you know can't take it home with them or something like that because it is very you know very good uh, very good table fare um, I had a, you know, I had a cook that, uh, cooked for me for, you know, about 10, 12 years up here. And, you know, he, he kind of gave me a recipe and I, I've used that recipe for some years and, and, and he, I think you, you can't go wrong with, with pronghorn and all my guys, you know, you know, kind of fight over who gets it. If we do have some that's donated and left over when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's pretty good table care. Well, and I think it has a lot to do with where these animals live. If you did shoot one, say in Wyoming, that just eats sagebrush or the natural browse, I imagine yeah. they're going to have a entirely different flavor profile from one in the Texas Panhandle, where it's essentially just agriculture. And these these pronghorns, you find them in the ag fields. That's what they're eating grain by and large. Um, you know, it's a uh, I'm sure a, a very different experience uh, comparing the one from sagebrush country to what we have here in uh, Texas. Right. So, um, no doubt about it. So, yeah, I, I tell guys, you know, if you if you shoot something in sage, it usually tastes like sage, and we don't shoot any, you know, many of these pronghorn in the sage, so they, you know, they're mostly in prop country or ag- agricultural country, so they're, like I said, pretty good table fare. Yeah. So what would you say is the average distance um, that your clients take their pronghorns at? You know, somewhere in the 100 to 300 with probably a 200-yard shot is kind of the norm and the average. You know, nowadays everybody's kind of gotten into this long-range shooting, and we do quite a bit of, you know, we do quite a bit of long-range. I've had some guys shoot pronghorn at over 1,000 yards. So, you know, as long as you, you know, I have one of my guys who, shoots long range competitively and normally if somebody wants to shoot long range I you know I have him go along you know to kind of help and 
and all that good stuff. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I've you know we've shot them with muzzle loader at under 100 yards, and we've you know most guys are probably shooting them somewhere around 200. So. Mm-hmm. So I, it was one of the more fun hunts, and it was very different uh, for me in 2015 because, you know, these animals are used to trucks driving around the pivot rows, uh, you know, these crop fields and, and stuff. They don't really get nervous until the truck stops, you know, or if someone gets out. So Correct. Yeah, so w- on our hunt, it was like, okay, we're going to – we found this goat. Um, it was on a property that we had permission to hunt, and – he was pretty close to the road. I mean, it was one of those deals where you're like, okay, I'm just going to creep along. You hop out of the truck. I'm going to keep going. And then you just basically drop down into the ditch here uh, alongside the pivot and get set up and, you know, get comfortable and take the shot. So it was pretty cool. Uh, it all happened so fast. You know, you just jump out of the truck, grab your rifle, and uh, you keep going. And then I think I got set up on the bipods and ended up taking the animal, I think he was like 260, 240, somewhere in there. But uh, definitely a different style of hunting when you find the right animal. It can be pretty fast-paced, for sure. For sure. Because they can cover a lot of ground, (laughs) these things, in a hurry. They do, they travel. If you spook them, I mean, they're gone. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I mean, they can can be gone for several you know they they might run several miles even i mean if you scare them bad enough so you got to be real careful you know how you hunt them and you know after you've done it for so long you kind of get a general idea of you know what they can stand and what they won't stand for and you know sometimes they'll let you get away with a lot and sometimes they won't so Mm -hmm. it seems like this year so far you know they haven't been you know it hadn't been too bad so far but usually yeah, once you get further into the season, you know that you know people have been after them for a week. You know they they get a little more uh, a little more wary towards the end of the season. You just gotta you know you just gotta really think and make a good game plan when you go after them. So. Well, I think it was towards the end of the season when I came last time because there was definitely a couple times where I was just looking at a cloud of dust on the horizon going away from me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! They can cover some kind of fast sons of guns, uh, awesome animals. And talk about some of the other ways you hunt them because we tried uh, we tried decoys. Um, yeah. We didn't have much success. I think you just got to find the right goat that wants to fight. Um, right. And then also flagging. Um, you know, even like waving a white T-shirt around. You've had luck with that. Antelope are very curious. You know, we've used you know we've used several different. Uh, tactics you know like that i've had you know we've had some good luck with uh with decoying in the past but like you said i mean it it it's specific goats and specific times of year and like sometimes you'll get up here and and i've noticed a lot of rutting activity right now and and when when they get a harem of those together um you know if they see another buck anywhere in the area they run that buck, you know, they'll run that buck, other buck out of the country. And that's really when the decoying really works really, really well. And then when you have a single pronghorn by themselves, you know, sometimes the female decoy, you know, works really good, you know, because they want to come check it out. You know, hey, there's another pronghorn over there. Let's go check it out. And 
I've used a cow decoy before because some of this country does have cattle in it. Oh, yeah, we tried that, too. You can, yeah. you can get in, you know, you have a little more room with a big old cow decoy. You can kind of get everybody behind it and get hit a little bit easier than just a little old pronghorn decoy. So, <clears throat> But, yeah, I mean, when decoying works and you've seen it work, it's uh, it's one of the coolest things you'll ever see in, in your life, really. Oh, and it didn't work for us, the decoying, but it sure was fun trying. Because, you know, say we've yeah. got this, and I think the goat was like 800 yards away. And we're like, okay, we got to close four or 500 yards here to get comfortable. Um, and you should start walking towards them. And, you know, eh, I, I thought maybe it was going to work out. It, it didn't on that time, but we ended up spooking them. But, you know, that's just the way it goes. But it's certainly fun. <laughs> Something different. Yeah. I don't know that about it. Yeah. Um one other thing I wanted to say about the the pronghorn that I shot with you, and I don't know if you remember, but it was so funny because he was in a field with like four, he had like four or five does with him. And they're hitting a tree within a thousand yards that I saw anywhere. You know, it's just open, flat, ag country. And we shoot the, shoot the animal, he drops, and the does take off. And all of a sudden, I'd noticed there is one tree. And all, just... Out of nowhere, this pronghorn appears. He noticed this, his competition's laying there dead, and he just hightails it, and, and next thing you know, he's in the pack with these does, and he's got a harem thanks to us. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Talk about uh, yeah. opportunistic. But he was sitting there watching, you know? Um, yeah. But he, and, I mean, I've had that happen in the past where maybe even an inferior goat that was, you know, I guess tougher than the bigger, older goat or, you know, was was with the herd and we you know we shot the shot him and then you know a, a bigger goat came into the herd the next day you know so you yeah you know I've seen it happen quite a few times you know so you always got to go back and, I mean this was immediate know, though he's like oh he's yeah. dead and then he's boom he's got his dose <laughs> yeah <laughs> crazy yeah. Um, and no one even knew that buck was there no we hadn't seen him no it, we didn't we didn't have any idea either, so. yeah. Well, uh, Clay, as we wrap things up here, um, what caliber, and I know you could use whatever you want, but what's a, what's a great choice for, for pronghorn? You know, something flat shooting. You're, you know, your 25 calibers, the, you know, 25 long suits, 257 weather be, you know, are some of my favorites. Um, you know, I've had guys shoot them with everything. Uh, you know, a lot of these newer, these newer calibers, you know, are really, you know, are really good, you know, like the, the, <clears throat> uh, the Creedmoor and mm-hmm. stuff like that, Six you know, five, they're, yeah. they're, they're really popular, you know, uh, one of my guys has a 6.5, 284, you know, we shoot a lot of pronghorn with, with those calibers right there, but I mean, just about anything works, you know, but I, I tell guys, whatever you feel comfortable shooting the, <clears throat> the furthest, that's that's the gun you want to bring. Right on, right on. And do you recommend because uh, these animals are not the toughest? I mean, uh, no, they're not a tough animal. And I, I tell guys, you know, you you don't even not not telling somebody to make a bad shot, but even if you have somebody make a bad shot, usually, you know, it's like like you were saying, it's flat country. There's not, you know, they're not going to go hide in the brush, and they're not going to get away from me. So yeah. But so do you recommend a hard, a solid bullet or, or one that's going to have a lot of expansion? 
the only thing with some of those bullets is they really do explode, and you got to be really careful. Pronghorn capes are one of the, you know, one of the most sensitive capes in the world, and I've seen some pretty big holes get blown in, in capes with some of them, you know, some of those bullets that are designed to explode. Yeah. You know, and I try to steer guys clear of that you know but so that's what i was getting at so probably a solid bullet and i mean i've yeah. been on shooting when i head up there with you this weekend i mean i'm probably just going to put it through the front shoulders and just get a hopefully get a clean pass through and and that animal's not going to go very far no they don't they they usually don't go very far well uh so if someone wants to uh to book a hunt i know the season we're kind of winding down this year but just to be thinking about uh, for for next season, and then you also do pronghorn hunts in New Mexico as well. So, opportunity there. Uh, what's the best way for them to uh, get a hold of you? And and how much are these hunts? Normally, I do a hunt for it's a three day all inclusive hunt for thirty five hundred dollars, and uh, <clears throat> they can they can get to me on the website huntsintexas dot com. Uh, they can look us up on Facebook, Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting, or they can call me, 956-763-3232. Awesome, I brother. I can get them the information. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, as always, I'm looking forward to, to heading up there to the Panhandle and, and seeing what we can't put on the ground this weekend. I will see you all then. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting. Uh, always great checking in with Clay. Uh, certainly, obviously was excited to talk uh, Panhandle Pronghorn, but hearing about his Australia travels and, and hunting uh, experiences over there, dang, I mean, that's a trip that I want to take, no doubt about it. Talk about a target-rich environment uh, with animals of all sizes, from water buffalo down to calling red fox. Uh, sounds like a hell of a good time. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Horizon Firearms. As soon as we get off the air here, I'm headed west to uh, to hunt pronghorn with Clay, and I've got my Horizon 7 mag. When I put the crosshairs on that speed goat shoulder, boom, lights out. Horizon specced out this rifle exactly how I wanted it. They'll do the same for you in whatever caliber you want. Check it out, horizonfirearms.com, based out of College Station, Texas. Uh, well, unfortunately... We got to get out of here. I, I do have to, to get on the road. I uh, do want to say thanks to all of our guests, uh, Brittany Longoria, Clay Pope, and, of course, our old friend and wild game chef extraordinaire, Hank Shaw. We'll do it again same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying wear your safety harness and have a great week in the outdoors. Gasoline and matches. You and me are gasoline.